I invite you to rise for the reading of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus entered Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see Jesus, to see who Jesus was, but he could not on account of the crowd because he was small in stature. And so he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree because Jesus was about to pass that way. And as Jesus came to where he was, Jesus looked up into the tree and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. And Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him with joy. But the crowd grumbled, saying, he has gone in to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood, and behold, he said to the Lord, Lord, half of my wealth I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said, today salvation has come upon this house, for this man is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that you inspired your servant Luke to record this moment in the life of Jesus. And we believe that when Luke wrote these words, they were not only words that would have power for his day, but these words have power for us today because they're inspired by your Holy Spirit. And so we pray, Father, send your Holy Spirit upon us afresh. Open this word for us now that we would be changed more and more to be like Christ for the sake of the world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. What is God up to? What is God up to? In this past year, past few months, in this last week, what is God up to? I've had many of y'all reach out to me, pastorally caring for me, I think a little worried. I can't tell you the number of messages I've had from folks saying, please don't consider going back to Canada. I've had even many send me that sort of somewhat famous meme now, quoting the late Robin Williams that said, for Canada right now, it must feel like you're the apartment above a meth lab. <laughs> but it's not true. I mean, it's, every time I see that, I say, that's not true. Canada's got its own problems. Trust me. Every nation has its own problems. Every season has its own problems. So the past year, has not changed anything about the church's mission or message. And neither has the past week. The church's mission and message has not been changed by what's happened in the past year or in the past week. 
For 2,000 years, the church, through plagues and protests, and yes, even through very divisive politics, has had its message and its mission remain unchanged. If anything, what these challenges do for us on a regular basis is remind us what we cannot put our hope and our trust in. If anything, what these difficult days remind us, it's, it's like a filter refining us to say, what have we begun to idolize and trust in that we cannot trust in? Where is our true and unchanging hope? The hope for America has never been born in a ballot box. The hope for America and for this world has only ever been born in Bethlehem. And this Zacchaeus story reminds us of that. If you turn with me in Luke chapter 19, we, we see an amazing picture of what God is up to right in this little story about this little man. But the consequences of this story are not small at all. What is God up to? Well, as we look at this Zacchaeus story in Luke 19, we'll see that God is up to what he's always been up to. God is about the same work that he's always been about, transforming sinners into saints as they are sought by his son. Sinners into saints as they're sought by his one and only son. See, we have to begin recognizing that it's sinners that God transforms. The gospel always begins with our sin. It must begin there. As Friedrich Buechner says, the good news of God is bad news before it's good news. Because as we look upon ourselves, we know that we are sinners. We know that we are broken. We know that we are in need. Verse two of our text, Luke 19, verse two. Behold, there is a man named Zacchaeus. And right there, we need to stop. Zacchaeus means pure. It's a terribly ironic word to name this man after. Zacchaeus, imagine the, the hopes and dreams of his parents. We're going to name our son pure. And what did that son grow into? He became, verse 2 says, a tax collector. A man who would cooperate with a pagan foreign army in order to get the taxes out of his fellow Jews. And he wasn't just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. He was over all of Jericho. He was making himself rich like all the other tax collectors by adding on surcharges on top of the taxes with a Roman guard there enforcing that his fellow Jews would hand it over. He is rich. He is a tax collector. And he's up a tree. Why does he go up a tree? Well, he wants to find out about Jesus. But let's be clear, he doesn't climb a tree because he's small in stature. It's not just because he's small in stature. Right? He wants to see Jesus and he's small in stature. And here's the thing, for anyone like me who is relatively small in stature, here's the truth. Whenever you can't see, you just let your elbows do the work. You work yourself through the crowd. You get yourself up to the front of the crowd. That's the normal response of a short person. 
I want to see something. I'm too short. You're too tall. You got to play basketball. I didn't. You go to the back of the line. I get to go to the front. But why does Zacchaeus not do that? Because verse 3 says, on account of the crowd. He's small in stature and he can't see, but it's on account of the crowd that he needs to go climb a tree because it's that same crowd, that same crowd that he has made every one of his drachmas, every one of his pennies, every one of his dollars have come off the backs of this crowd. He is very rich off of them. So instead of facing them, he avoids them. He avoids the reality of his sin and what he's done. And he goes and says, I'll climb a tree. I can avoid going through the crowd. And we do this all the time. We avoid our sin. We hide our sin. We cover our sin. We pretend our sin isn't there. We excuse our sin. But we all know that we are sinners. We, like Zacchaeus, are constantly faced with the reality of our sin. See, I used to think that I had to convince people that they were sinners. When I was a new Christian and I wanted to reach the world for Jesus, I was like, I got to tell people they're sinners. I would have, think I, I got to quote Psalm 14 and say, you know, God looks down upon the sons of men to see if there's any who do good, any who follow after God. And the verdict is, no, there is none who do good. Right, it's, it's Romans 3, 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But over time, I realized that it's actually not that necessary to point out a person's sin in the context of a potential evangelistic conversation because we all know we're sinners as much as we try to hide it. I remember Halloween a few years ago, I was at Starbucks in Ottawa Right across the street from my church was a Starbucks. And so I was in Starbucks and I, and I knew the barista who was serving me. And so we were having a pretty long chat, kind of annoying people perhaps behind us in the line. And, and I'm wearing my clerical collar and she, it's Halloween, is wearing a devil's outfit. And the guy behind me noticing our lengthy conversation says, oh, are you two like a couple? And I said, no, I said, this, like, this is for real. This isn't a costume. And he said, you, you're a priest? For real? And I said, yeah. And I swear he wanted the ground to swallow him up. I mean, he was, he was so, so overcome with, with, with apologies. I mean, a couple times he started to bow to me. I mean, he was overwhelmed by this. And it was all because... As Monica will say, when we go to an airport or walk down the street and I'm wearing my clerical collar, she says, why is it you are a one-man parade? Everyone's watching. <laughs> it's because every time that we have a reminder before us of the church, of the gospel of God, it tweaks something deep within us that says, I know how broken I am. Every one of us deep within our DNA knows that we were made for glory and we have fallen very far. We know we are sinners. As Hebrews chapter four, verse 13, this is what's sort of written in our DNA. We know that no creature is hidden from his sight, but we are all, in, all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It's the reason why I love 
our liturgy within the Anglican tradition that it's scripture set out for participatory worship, but where do we begin every week? Where do we begin with that acknowledgement of our sin? Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Every week we begin there because the gospel begins there. We know and must acknowledge that we are sinners before a holy and a mighty God. But what God is doing is transforming those sinners, us, we sinners, into saints, into those who will radically transform the world because he radically transforms us and the way we live. Look at the Zacchaeus story. Jesus calls Zacchaeus out of the tree and before their very eyes, Zacchaeus is transformed. I mean, it's, it's an unbelievable transformation. They see it that same day that he meets Jesus. The crowd stands in awe at the changed life. Look at verse 8. Zacchaeus stands. Well, first you've got to set the scene so we, we make sure we understand it. This is happening. This latter part of the story is in Zacchaeus' home. Right? Jesus is walking along. Zacchaeus is up the sycamore tree. Jesus says, come down for I must stay at your house. And what do we hear? He says, he came down and received him, which means he said, all right, Jesus, come on into my house. Look at my beautiful house. It's really big. I'm really rich. I got all this money from the crowd that's following Jesus into the house. This is the ancient Near East. It's not like a private little meal between Jesus and Zacchaeus. The whole crowd follows him in. He has to get the servants to set the tables and put out food. And so what happens? They're in Zacchaeus' house. This arch tax collector, this chief tax collector, all the crowd is sitting around grumbling. They're eating all the foie gras and all the, the, the goodies he's put out, and they're grumbling as they do. We've never done that, have we, with our hosts, right? Eating the host's food, grumbling about him, because they see this man is a sinner and Jesus is coming to be a guest. And they're watching. They want to trap him. And what does Zacchaeus do? And this is not pride. This is not showing off. This is Zacchaeus having a deeply personal transform moment. Verse 8, he stands in the midst of all that grumbling and says, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone, I will restore it fourfold. Now, here's the amazing thing. If the whole crowd is coming to Jesus into Zacchaeus' house, the poor are right there among them. And if the crowd is coming to Zacchaeus' house when he says this, the exact people he's defrauded are standing there in his house. And when you realize that in the Greek, it's written in the present tense, what it means is not, I'm going to go visit my financial planner later this week and we'll see what we can do to make amends. He is saying in the present tense, right now, in this moment, and going forward, Half of what I have goes to you. In this moment, in this moment, if I've defrauded any of you, I am returning it fourfold in this moment. It is a drastic, complete transformation. This man is not the same. And notice it's not the crowd that's been grumbling that speaks next. It's Jesus. Verse 9, today salvation has come into this house. 
Today salvation has come. This man is not the same. This generous living that is now exhibited in Zacchaeus, let's be clear, is not purchasing his salvation. It is simply the proof of it. The salvation that he has been given is something he cannot earn. Jesus, on his own decision, came into that man's house. It is pure grace. But the proof of that salvation is in the way he lives. He is an integrated human being. He has integrity. What is happening on the inside is happening on the outside. The whole story of our salvation is that Jesus wants to come in and invade every part of our lives, right? God is coming in and is rearranging all the furniture, is taking out walls, if we want to use the C.S. Lewis metaphor. He's taking down walls and putting out new wings because he comes to dwell in us. But the truth of the matter, in the words of Charles Spurgeon, is with some the last part of our nature that gets sanctified is our pocketbooks. We hold out on that right to the end, but for Zacchaeus, it's right up front. He is transformed by Jesus, and he knows that he has an imperative to respond with generosity. It's, It's an amazing thing when you see transformation, isn't it? When you see real change. I remember, especially in the context of celebrating our veterans today, I remember when my brother, Philip, came back from basic training. I love telling the story. Philip came back from basic training, seven years younger than me. He was always tough as nails. But whenever we wrestled, eldest brother, youngest brother, I always could win. I'd get my elbows in there. I'd put my weight on. I just always had a means by which I could get him in a headlock and he'd cry uncle. So Phil's back from basic training. Phil is like twice the size of what Phil was. We're having a barbecue in my parents' backyard, and Philip knows that he's been changed. And he's calling out his older brother. He keeps, you know, sniping at me and, you know, sort of just calling me to come and wrestle or whatever. I'm holding back because I'm looking at this ox of a man. And finally, he says enough that I just lose it. I run across the backyard. I'm like, Gosh, 30 years old. I got kids at this point. I'm married. I'm making a fool of myself. I charge the yard, jump onto my brother, and within a second, my face is in the dirt. I can't breathe. And as embarrassing as that is, then I hear with my ears my mother's voice and my wife's voice begging Philip to spare my life. And I'm like, Philip, just kill me now. The truth was he was totally transformed, changed. It was impressive. It was amazing. But the transformation for Zacchaeus and the transformation for each of us as we come to Christ is given proof in the way that we live, in this new way that Jesus, by his sacrifice and by his spirit enables us to live differently in this world. It is the proof in a dying world that there is a God who is transforming this world. I love that for Zacchaeus, the transformation continues. As we read the ancient records of the church, we're told that when they came to ordain and consecrate, according to tradition, when Peter went to consecrate a bishop, For Caesarea, 
we're told in the records of the church that of Caesarea, the first bishop was the, the, the first bishop was Zacchaeus. But they don't just say Zacchaeus because you think, well, maybe it's another Zacchaeus, right? It's a common name, pure. No, the record says the first bishop was Zacchaeus who was once a tax collector. He carried his former identity with him his whole life, not as a, as a shame, but as a sign of the gospel of what God can do. God can take a tax collector and make him a bishop. God can take sinners and make us saints through whom he will change this world. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 puts it this way. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. I've got the wrong passage marked here. There it is, chapter 2, not verse 3. I really need to get contacts. <laughs> I've been putting off wearing glasses for the whole four and a half years I've been here, but I'm, this is as large print a Bible as they get, so I'm really <laughs> thinking I need to do this this week. Um, but thanks be to God, Paul says, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. That our transformed lives are the aroma of Christ in this world, proof that God is in the business of turning sinners into saints. The question to close with is how? See, it seems when you look at this passage that Zacchaeus is the seeker, right? It seems like Zacchaeus is sort of the initiator of this. We're told in verse three that he was seeking to know about Jesus, right? So it's kind of like, oh, Zacchaeus woke up that day and was like, you know, I'm tired of being a sinner. I'm going to go on a spiritual quest and figure this out on my own, right? And we can read that and we'd be utterly wrong because here's the truth. The crowning statement of verse 10 that comes from the mouth of Jesus it is the son of man who comes to seek and save the lost. See, God is transforming sinners into saints as they're sought by his son. Look at verse five. When Jesus walks up to that sycamore tree, what does he say to him? Does he say, oh, who are you up the tree? What's your name? Would someone introduce me? No, he looks at him and says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Now, there's no indication anywhere in Scripture that Jesus and Zacchaeus would have met each other at any time. So the question is, how would Jesus even know who this man was? It's interesting as the story begins in verse 1, we're told that Jesus is simply passing through this region, Jericho, that verse 4 is told that he's passing by that tree, it seems like these are just ordinary moments, nothing special, nothing extraordinary, no burning bushes. And yet, in truth, isn't it so that in our lives we realize these subtle, simple, ordinary moments are in fact exactly the sovereign will of God? God knitting a, a puzzle, a piece, a plan, a picture together. Jesus is 
in Jericho passing by that sycamore tree because he has a divine appointment with a man named Zacchaeus. His father has sent him. Sent him to do what? Sent him to have a meal with him. Verse 5, come down out of that tree for I must stay at your house. It's the language of fellowship. It's the language of family, actually. In the ancient Near East, to, to stay with someone is to say that we are connected, we're family, we're brothers forever. We're brother and sister. And so for Jesus to invite this man that he's never met, but he knows his name, out of the tree to come down that he could stay in his house is the language of Zacchaeus Come and let me live in your home and know you as I would know all my brothers and sisters. Why would Jesus do this? Why would the father send his son? Later in this chapter, Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem. He's about to have the triumphal entry. He's about to begin the days leading up to his crucifixion. Why this weird interlude in Jericho? Why would the father put this man Zacchaeus on his son's heart to go and to invite himself into his home. Because as Jesus says in verse 9, this man also is a son of Abraham. This man also is a member of God's family, a lost son. One who's been lost and the father has sent the elder brother to go and find and bring home. Isn't this the gospel? Zacchaeus is a lost son. And so the father comes to the elder brother and lays on the elder brother what in the ancient Near East would always be the elder brother's responsibility. You must help to keep this family intact. If anything is going wrong, it is your responsibility to bring this household back together. So go, my son, out and find the lost ones and bring them home. Come down out of that tree, Zacchaeus. Hurry, for I must stay at your house today. During the Vietnam War, there's a true story of a man named Lieutenant Daniel Dawson whose reconnaissance plane went down in the jungle. And he was declared MIA, missing in action, True story, when his brother Donald heard, he sold everything, bought passage to Vietnam, put on a soldier's kit, he was not a soldier, and went out into the jungles to search for his brother. This is a true story. And here's the amazing thing. Is it the Viet Cong who were constantly surrounded him as he went around showing pictures of his brother and the pictures of the type of aircraft that went down? The Viet Cong would not touch him. Why? Because the story was circulating about who he was. The Viet Cong gave him a name. They called him An Toy Phi Cong, the brother of the lost pilot. This is a picture of the gospel. 
The elder brother goes out to find lost sons and daughters so that his father's house would be full. And he goes and he pays every sacrifice, every price to bring us home. He is the elder brother who leaves the 99 to go in search of the lost one. The Son of God does not sit back and wait for us to find him. No, he goes and seeks for his lost sheep. And he seeks yet today still. Have you ever wondered why the Lord is tarrying? I mean, after all that we're going through, you know, every week we confess that he's coming again. You want to say, Lord, what else are you waiting for? Like with all the problems in the world, oh Lord, Maranatha, come soon. Like, why didn't you come last week? Come on. And you know the answer why the Lord tarries in his return? Is there are still lost sons and daughters that he is seeking to bring home. So what is God up to? What he's always been up to. God is transforming sinners into saints as we are sought by his son. Nothing has changed. The gospel is not changed because of current events. The mission of God is not changed because of current events. The message of the gospel has certainly not changed because of what we face in our days. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What is God up to? What he's always been up to. Seeking to save the lost. That is how the world gets changed. That is how our nation gets changed. That is what we give ourselves to. The mission and the message we pour out ourselves for because we put our trust there and there alone. This is how God is putting his world together. One sinner at a time sought by the son and made a fragrant offering, a saint in this world. So let us be about our Father's business. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.